Will you pray with me? God, we just ask that you remove a flawed, broken man, a sinner, a hypocrite, that you might be honored and glorified by every word spoken and that might be yours and that we might be ready to listen to be truly your disciples. We pray this in the name of Jesus who bought us. Amen. All right. So as you can see from your bulletin and probably the board, that the scripture today is just the entire chapter of John 9. So we're going to break it down like we did last week. And, and so we're going to go through it slowly, so I won't read it all now. But we've been talking about being salty, how Christians need to be the salt of the earth and how we need to follow Jesus like Jesus said to follow Jesus, not how people say we need to follow Jesus. So we've been looking at what Jesus' salt teaching means, where he says, you know, don't be saltless salt, essentially saying don't be halfway in, don't be halfway out, because if that's the case, I don't know what to do with you. We've looked at, at when he calls us the light of the world and talked about how we are only the light of the world when we are conformed to the image of the light of the world. And that we need to shine light into others' lives and also let Jesus shine light into ours fully. And today we're going to read a story. John 9. Now you have probably heard this story. It's, it's a famous one in the Bible. But there is going to be a very practical thing, very practical challenge that I'm going to give to you. That if you choose to do it, is going to really change a lot of things. So let's dig in. Let's just start off. We're going to read John 9, 1 through 7. We're going to go by this bit by bit. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me, while it is day, night is coming, when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. He, then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud, and he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sin. So he went and washed, and he came back seeing. Let's stop right here. So the picture that's happening is Jesus is walking with his disciples, and there's this blind man begging on the side of the road. And you can imagine that the blind man is asking for money or food. And his disciples look at Jesus and say, hey, settle a bet. Tell us, tell us what's going on here. Because the common teaching of the day, and it is still a common teaching today, is that when somebody is born with an illness or somebody's born... With, with a disability, people think that it was either their fault, that they sinned in their lives, and so the illness or the disability was cast on them as punishment, or that their parents did. And so the kid, the child, the, the, the son or daughter is paying for the disobedience of the parents. So his disciples are saying, hey, which one is it, Jesus? Like, is it the parents' fault, or is it this person's fault? What's going on? And Jesus looks and says, it's neither. 
Now, Jesus doesn't get exactly into why bad things happen to good people. I, I wish he did because I, I got questions. But Jesus says, watch God work. You want to see something? Watch God work. And so Jesus spits in the mud or spits in the dust, makes mud and puts it in the man's eyes. Now, if we remember, we come from dust. We are dust that God has breathed into, that God has placed his image on. And so maybe there are people who think, you know, Jesus was was making them new sets of eyes or something. I don't know. I think he just spit in some mud and put it on the guy's eyes. Can you imagine how mad this guy was? Man, I've been asking for money. I've been asking for bread. And this guy comes and spits in the ground and rubs some mud on my eyes. Like, what the heck is happening? That's cruel. And Jesus says, go and wash. And you got to think this guy's like, oh, go and wash. Okay, yeah, I'm just going to sit here with mud on my eyes. So he probably is just ticked off going to this pool. Washes the mud from his eyes and starts seeing. You got to think, what? <laughs> what the heck just happened? This is amazing. So... This man just got his sight. And you, one thing that I want to point out is throughout the Bible, the more you read the Bible, you'll start to notice these things. There are things that I like to call the silhouettes of the gospel. All throughout the Bible, in the Old Testament or through Jesus' ministry, you see what Jesus accomplished on a larger scale, him do through very small practical examples. For example... Giving sight to the blind. You and I are blind. We were blind. We were blinded by this world. We could not see what was happening. And then Christ gave us sight. We were blind. And now we see. We sing that all the time. So Jesus, yes, he's healing a blind man because it's a good thing to do. But also Jesus is showing what he's going to do with all of us. Now, also, what we see here is the blind man was begging for bread or money, and Jesus gave him sight. How many times when we pray are we praying for bread or money, and Jesus gives us sight? How many times are we stuck praying for earthly, and God gives us something divine? I guarantee you that if you start writing down your prayers— what you're going to see is God answers all of them. And we say, well, God doesn't answer them in the way we want. Now, that's because God's up here and we're down here. We're praying for bread. God's given us sight. Because if Jesus would have just given this man money, it would have run out. And soon he'd be begging again. If he would have given the man bread, he would have ate it. But he's going to get hungry again. And he's going to start begging again. But Jesus gives him sight. The man wanted something earthly. God gave him something divine. We all need to look for that in our own lives. Now, let's get into verse 8 through 23, and we're going to see something sad happen. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as the beggar were saying, is, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes. And he said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. 
They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made mud and opened the eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Now some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and he received his sight until they called the parents of the man who received his sight. And they asked him, is this your son who you say was born blind? How does he now see? His parents answered, we don't know. We, we do know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he sees, we do not know nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So what we see here that is so unbelievably sad is that a man has just received his sight and everybody's too busy fighting about it to acknowledge something amazing just happened. See, you have the neighbors who can't believe it. You have the Pharisees who can't explain it. And you have his parents who are too scared to claim it. So something amazing has just happened. And everybody surrounding it has just been, just been blinded by, by trying to get a grasp on something that we can't get a grasp on. We do this today all the time. When something amazing happens, when God does something amazing, a lot of times we just try to explain it, try to get a grasp on it, and never take time to acknowledge the amazing thing that God just did. We need to take a step back. But what I will also say is people don't want to believe. People don't want to believe. Think about what these neighbors are saying. Hey, we've passed by this guy every single day. We've seen him begging every single day. And now he claims he can see. Well, he can obviously see, but, but nah, this ain't him. See, what happened was he had an identical twin brother that we didn't know about. And uh, the blind man left, and this twin is coming in and saying, hey, I can see. We don't know why, because he just lost his entire profession, and he can't beg anymore. But that's has, see, he has a brother, maybe a couple brothers, and they just rotate. Like, what is happening? But people will make up any excuse not to believe. Because when you confess that there's a God, you're confessing that we are not God. And a lot of people have problems with that. We all have problems with that. So people will do anything not to believe. People will do anything to explain away, to get a grasp on what God is doing. And we can't get a grasp on what God's doing sometimes. Because how in the world do we pray for sight when all we want is bread? We got to take a step back and see what God's doing. All right. Verse 24 and 25. This is the entire reason that we're reading this entire chapter. Because verse 24 and 25 speaks to an unbelievable truth. That if we understand as Christians, we're going to be salty. If we understand as Christians, we will be conformed to the image of the light of the world. 
verse 24 and 25. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. This man has an opportunity to do what we all do, to, to believe and live on a half-truth. And we fill our lives with half-truths. But a half-truth is so much more dangerous than a lie. If we notice, anytime the devil speaks in the Bible, he's speaking in half-truths. The serpent in the garden said, did God actually say? The serpent in the garden said, no, if you eat that, you will be like God. See, it's half-true. And this man has an opportunity to get away with a half-truth. See, the, the, the Pharisees are going to kick him out of the synagogue. His parents are going to reject him. His neighbors aren't going to believe him. And all he has to do is agree to this half-truth, and he can walk out scot-free. See, the, the Pharisees are saying, look, Jesus ain't it, but we know God must have done this. So just say that God did it, and you can leave. If this man just says that God did it, he can leave. And, and you can see the logic leap that we can make here. Okay, so if this man is from God, if this Jesus guy is really from God, then God must have done it. So if I say God did it, then, then I can walk out of here with a clean conscience. I've got my sight. I've got my family. I've got my neighbors. I'm good. But the man doesn't. He sticks to what he knows to be true. The whole truth. I was blind, and now I see. It doesn't matter anything past that. All I know in my life is I was blind, but now I see. My challenge for us is what is your one-sentence testimony? What is that one sentence that you can hold on to and know that that is true beyond anything else. For this man, it was, I was blind and now I see. For my wife, it's how can it be. For myself, it is, it is and he took it away. And he took it away. Because where I was in my life before Jesus came and saved me, before God came and saved me before I truly understood anything was I was filled with sin and shame. I was hurt. I was a young man who had nowhere to go. I was angry all the time. I wanted to give up on life. I had thoughts and voices in my head that were just telling me to quit. And I had this life left to live as this 20-year-old. You know, I'm 20 and I already want to quit. And then in a broken down shower, I'm crying to God. Saying, I've tried to find you before. I've been in church my whole life. Where are you? Because if you truly, if you want me, you got to take it all. You got to take my hurt. You got to take my sin. You got to take my shame. 
And you got to take the rest of my life because I don't want to live it. Take my identity, take my strengths, take my weaknesses, take it all. And he took it away. I will die on that hill. The one thing I know to be true beyond anything else is God took it away. And now for the rest of my life, when something bad happens and I'm carrying it with me, God leans over and says, no, that's mine. And he takes it away. And when something good happens, God leans over and says, that's mine. And he takes it away. He took my life away. And it has been all the better for it. What is your one-sentence testimony? This is a challenge that I'm giving you, not to just think on for a little bit and then let it go, not to just have it in this church and then walk out and leave it. What I'm asking you to do and challenging you to do is actually think on it, dig on it, pray on it, and find it. See, you'll know you found it when you start crying. I was a blubbering mess in my office thinking about this when when I was writing this sermon. And then once you find it, hold it. Remind yourself of it. Because if you want to be the person that God has called you to be, start with the most basic truth. What Jesus Christ did for you, what God did for you, Because this is the thing. A lot of people want to have a personal savior and never have have a personal relationship with that savior. You can't have a personal relationship with Christ if you've never had a personal relationship with Christ. Challenge yourself. Sit and dig on it. Find your one sentence testimony and hold on to it. Because look what happens. This man drew his line in the sand, said, I was blind, now I see it. I don't care what you say. I don't care whatever happens. And look what happens, verse 24 through 34. So for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered him, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing that I do know is I was blind and now I see And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already. You wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to be his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered him, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does the will of God, God listens to him. Never since the beginning of the world was it heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us, and they cast him out. What we see here is this man says, I'm going to stick to what I know to be true. I'm going to stick to my once in his testimony. Man, I was blind, but now I see. And you see how salty he gets? You see how much light he shines in the room despite the fact that he might die for it? 
Why do you want to hear? Do you want to be his disciples too? And he's sitting there with all these people who have studied the scriptures their entire life. People who know all the big words, all the multiple syllable words, people with the big offices. And he's schooling them in theology because he's starting on what is true, on what he knows to be true. And then the logic leaps from there is not, not much at all. Okay, so he opened my eyes. We know that to be true. God listens to him because otherwise he couldn't. We know that to be true. So he must be from God. That's irrefutable logic. The Pharisees don't know what to do with them, so they insult them and they cast them out. And this is the thing, man. If you stick to your once in his testimony, you shine light in the room, you, you worship God, man, you might be cast out. I'm not saying that you won't. In fact, I'm pretty certain that you will. But it's true. Stick with the truth. Don't build your life on half-truths. Who are we going to follow? Are we going to follow the example of Jesus Christ or the disciples of Jesus Christ? Are we going to follow the example of the serpent? And we got to stick to what's true. This is the cool. This is the coolest thing, too. The ending of this story. Because not only does Jesus give this man his sight, give this man his testimony, but Jesus is also there when he's cast out. Verses 35 through 41. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. What we see here is Jesus finished the story. Man, Jesus started something in this man, and he's going to finish it. God started something in the life, and he's going to finish it. And you can count on that. If you stick with Christ, if you stick with God, follow the example, hold on to the truth, man, God's going to be there for you till the end. Because God is the end. God's the beginning and the end. Man, I want us all to be like this blind man because that's what God's done for us. He's opened our eyes. He's given us the truth, given us something divine when we wanted something worldly. I want us to be that salty, to be that light because the world needs it. Our community needs it. And Jesus will give it. Jesus will lead. God will give it. Please, please do this. Please write down your one sentence testimony. Write down your one sentence testimony and drop it in the mailbox outside my office. Write down your one sentence testimony and shoot me an email with it. Write down your one sentence testimony and just give me a piece of paper. If you don't want to put your name on it, don't put your name on it. But what I'd like to do is when the newsletter comes out, I would like to fill an entire page with our one sentence testimonies. And that way we as a church can look at what God has done for the members of the church. Wouldn't that be awesome? If we could just boil it down to what we know to be true. And then every step 
past that, we know we will walk rightly because we are starting with the foundation of the truth. Again, you'll know if you'll pick the right one because you'll start bawling. Because once you understand what God's done for you and your life, it's all you can do to stand up. Now, if you're digging and you're not finding anything, I think that is a time to stop and think. Again, we've been, our world teaches that we can have a personal savior without having a personal relationship. Our world teaches that we can have a personal relationship without having a personal relationship. And so if you find yourself digging and not finding, pray to God to give you one. Pray to God in that moment, in that vulnerability to fill you. And he will, because God starts and God finishes. God is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Let's do this as a church. Let's write down what we know to be true and let's hold on to it. And if anybody tries to take it away, no. We have been given an unbelievable gift. A savior who loved us enough to hang on a tree that we deserve to hang on. To take the wrath of God that we deserve. To take our place and to give us his. Man, God loves you so much. God loves you so much. God loves you so much. The gospel proves it. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves it. The pages of this Bible prove it. Abide in that love. Be about that love. Be about the truth. Be about the truth. Let's pray. God, help us be about the truth. We know that we are weak and, and wounded, flawed and broken. We know that most times we take one step forward and two steps back. But always, always bring us back to help us take that one step. God, we, we pray for your strength. Because on our own, we got nothing. On our own, we can't do it. When we fail, we pray that you give us the knowledge that we are forgiven. When we succeed, we pray that we, you give us the awareness to glorify you. Help us. Father, thank you for the testimonies that you've given us in our lives. Help us find it and help us hold on to it. Help us be light. Help us be your disciples. Help us be salty. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.